welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. I'm just back. My voice maybe sounded a little bit different, a little tired because I was in Vancouver for the MTM Diamond meetup. Flew Air Canada there. We'll talk about that in a second. But how are you doing today, Joe? Pretty good. Back. It's It was like 90 degrees all last week. It's back to semi-decent weather. So that's good. They installed air conditioning units in our school, in all Boston public schools. And I, that made a huge difference. I cannot imagine having taught last week without it. Getting back with my old students, they asked me today, you know, the ones that I know, they're like, how many outfits do you have, Mr. Chung? And I was like, I got six t-shirts, okay? I do laundry twice a week. Like, how, how many t-shirts do I gotta do? So starting off on the right foot, students already getting at me, but it's, it's pretty fun. And I do do laundry many times a week. It's funny because when I was traveling, you know, I only have seven days worth of clothes. So I was always on video for like the Vegas show. And I was always paranoid because I have to wear the same shirts all the time because you only have so many clothes when you travel with a carry-on bag. So I, I get it. Yeah, that's what I should say. I should just say that like I'm, I'm just traveling. Like I don't actually live here. I did say that I did get two new t-shirts this summer, which is true. So I'm like, look out, kids. Mr. Chung's coming. I'm sure exciting uh, stuff, but yeah, Mr. Chung lives out of a suitcase. That would be a good narrative going around the school, the gossip. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, I should, I should be, did you, did you ever read? It's just one of my favorite books as a kid growing up, Miss Nelson is missing. It's about this elementary school teacher who like, whenever her kids are being bad, she dresses up as like a really mean teacher and, you know, comes in as a sub like that. That could be me. I could write a whole entire kid's book about uh, Mr. Chung. But enough about that. Enough about doing laundry. I think this is like four weeks in a row we've discussed laundry. Tell me about the Vancouver meetup. How was it? Did you do laundry there for two days? The Vancouver meetup was good. I flew Air Canada there. I'm not sure if I talked about my redemption, but I got a uh, first class or slash business class redemption on the way up, which was a 20,000 aeroplane. And that was actually cheaper than flying in economy. And then I think it was 13,000 in coach back, but there were direct flights to Vancouver, which was really cool. And I paid for a, for an extra legroom seat. And the quirky thing with Air Canada yesterday, when I was checking in, I don't know, I'm sure other people out there do this. I'm sure you probably do this, but I was stalking the seat map and I was in seat 15 C, which I paid for and 14 C opened up, but there was an empty middle next to it. So I figured why not move to 14 C and try to get the empty middle? Cause it was only a couple hours before the flight. So I do that. And the Air Canada site moves my seat and then tells me I have to pay for the new seat again. And so I kind of get stuck there, but then my old seat is gone. So I can't get back to my old seat. And so I go on Twitter and I will give credit to how quickly they responded Air Canada on Twitter. They, within about 10 minutes said that they had confirmed everything and it was good. But of course I get to the airport and no boarding pass. And it says I have to pay the $38 or something like that uh, to, to upgrade. And it took the gate agent a little bit of time, but I've never seen that with an airline. Once you pay, you can't switch seats or, you know, it's crazy in their system. And she couldn't even see that I had paid. I had to prove to her on my phone with the receipt that I paid, but I've flown Air Canada, I think five or six times now, every single time, major problems, delays, all kinds of crazy stuff. That was the worst thing that happened. It was great flights on time, both ways. So I was happy to see that and have a good experience on Air Canada. But Joe, as the safety video started to play, and for some reason I did not notice this on the way out, so I probably wasn't paying attention to the safety video, shame on me. But on the way back, 
Did you see this Air Canada? I sent him. I sent you a link. It's a Disney Disney World. I mean, they, their whole safety video cuts between planes in Disney World. It's very strange, and of course, it's English and French as well. Yeah, Trevor sent it to me the other day, and it is basically an ad. It's an ad for Disney, and you know, I guess you know they do have low attendance right now, so I can see why they're doing it. But it seems like a cheap way to do the ad. One thing I was pretty disappointed in was the fact that when they do the seatbelt part, they don't have the yellow tabs that you normally have to pull to show the cast members that your seatbelt is in. Of course, I figure they don't want to confuse people since they're not actual yellow tabs on the Air Canada plane, but it was a pretty cute video. It's the first uh, first safety video since the Lord of the Rings Air New Zealand one that I got a little emotional watching, so you know I did enjoy it. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't know why you need to make a video like that. It's a safety video, though, and it, it goes on for six minutes. So it's hard to pay attention to that, even if you're like interested in it. I feel like a shorter, sweeter safety video is probably better for overall safety to get people to pay attention. And, you know, especially the fact that it's just cut scenes of Disney World in between the safety things. So it's like you're watching, a, as you said, a Disney World ad mixed in with the safety video. Very strange. But, you know, I'm always happy to see Disney. And I was excited about that, and I couldn't wait to tell you about that. And I'm jealous that Trevor sent it to you first. Well, don't worry. I didn't watch it when he sent it to me. I only watched it when you did. So, you know, just <laughs> po- po- current and former podcast hosts, you know, peeing contests. I always love to see it. So just just kidding. I know he's not listening to this. Mark's not listening to this either. He sent it to me too. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that would be very funny if Mark sent it to you. I can't imagine uh, how he would run across it. But yeah, we had the MTM Diamond meetup in Vancouver. It was at the Hyatt Regency Vancouver, which I haven't stayed at before. And members of our group got all kinds of different things. I was in a standard suite. We had people that had the presidential suite and they have this really cool bi-level suite, which is like a 1400 square foot suite, but that's on two levels with huge ceilings and some really neat rooms there. Pretty much renovated pretty recently, I think. Everything's fairly modern, even if the building's old and I think it's been around a long time. Apparently, uh, our tour guide, we did a walking tour in downtown Vancouver, and he said that there's a famous riot that happened at the Hyatt. It's called the Riot at the Hyatt at some point in Vancouver's history. And it was interesting to hear the history of Vancouver because there's been like a ton of riots. Apparently, riots in Vancouver are a thing all throughout like the last 80 years or something. So there's tons of very famous riots, which I didn't know. But if you haven't been to Vancouver, it is a spectacular city. Have you ever been there? Come on, man. What you have, right? Yes. yes. We've talked about it on this. Please throw out their Joe. phones. People, people are literally throwing their phones out of their cars right now because we talked about, we literally talked about Vancouver last week, Sean. I, you know what though? Speaking about <laughs> podcasts, minutia, and stuff like that, the amount of stuff that we forget that we say all the time is, you know, one could say you could fill 200 plus podcasts with the info that we've forgotten. But yes, I was in Vancouver last year just to remind, you, Sean, and everyone who hasn't listened to his hands in his head, his head's in his hands right now, before the Alaska cruise, and you know we just discussed how much I love the city of Vancouver and how excited I was for all the MTM Diamond meetup people to go. But I was looking at the pictures. It looked like y'all had a lot of fun, and yeah, I, I, so I was looking at the pictures and I didn't read the captions, and I was like, did they go on some sort of tour? So that's cool to hear about, and. Glad you all got to do that together. Some a lot of times those things are fun when you kind of own the group. Did you own the group? 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. No, I mean, I'm like, still like you were the only ones there. You were the only ones there. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it was not, a private tour. Not that you. Uh, yeah, own the, the diamond group. group. <laughs> You're not. I'm still embarrassed over my. Did you have you ever been to Vancouver thing? Because as you roll out the 18 times we've talked about you being in Vancouver, and it all came back to me. But it is true. Like we'll talk uh, on the show, and I, I'll forget things. The other crazy thing is I'll talk to people in person who have listened to the show. And I'll be like telling a story and they already know what I'm going to say because they've listened to something I've said. So yeah, I need to come up with like more stories. We've used all our good material. We have nothing to small talk to people about because we waste it all here. So I, I bet you get that even more with like Vegas because that's like a niche topic and it's always on your mind and you're always talking about it. So then, you know, people and of course, very popular YouTube.com slash Milestone Memories. Check out that show. But Regardless, I think it was. It looked like a really great meetup. It looked like everyone had a lot of fun. Did I? Did I hear a rumor that PDX Dealers guy made his way up there? He did, and I'll talk about him in a second. But I did want to say the tour company we used, which this isn't an ad or anything, we paid them. It's called Retours, and he basically gives tours that are different than your tourist, your typical tourist stuff. So that was really good. A lot of insight into the history of the city. I would definitely recommend using him great tour guide and we even got to see a flash mob in the train station in vancouver in the middle of the tour so it, it just had everything as far as that goes some good food and drink and conversations a lot of people bringing up the fact that they do laundry in their rooms, so that was good to see and you know just having great conversations with people it's always fun but as you say sometimes i feel like i have nothing to talk about because i've talked about everything on here that's all a bit strange but good to connect with people and yeah, PDX Deals guy was there, so uh, he made a rare appearance. And he outdid me because he wore his Miles to Memory shirt and I didn't. The OG one with the old logo, as I get new ones made, you know, I didn't bring the one I wore recording last week, even though people can't see it. So yeah, good to see him and everybody and a great group of people that keep coming out. And we do have a few slots in Diamond, patreon.com forward slash Miles to Memories. The next meetup is in Orlando, the first weekend of December, and we're going to repeat what we did last time, which was... You know, hanging out, doing Epcot, I think, drinking around the world, even though I will be drinking soda or something, not booze this time. But uh, it'll be a fun time. Last time, that's probably one of my favorite meetups. It was an incredible thing. It was a bucket list thing. You know, you drink in every country. By the end of the night, it's a sort of craziness. People falling in the bushes, our ex-co-host falling in the bushes. Uh, one of my favorite MTM Diamond memories of all time. And I can't get enough of that video. Every once in a while when I'm sad, Joe, I just pull up the video of Mark falling in the bushes and I feel instantly better. It's amazing that you got it on video. You know, sometimes those things happen and it just like, I, I don't know, sometimes it's better when it is the urban legend and, you know, you just think about it. But at the same time, when you have the video for it too, that's uh, pretty great as well. Just shout out to Mark, the Lions one, the Packers one as well they Jordan Love, looking good so as we're recording I, I i can almost guarantee we are recording on monday september 11th which it is weird sean being in a school with kids who told me today that i started teaching at the school the year they were born which means they weren't even alive for september 11th you know you and myself and everyone of our age we remember you know what that day felt like and you know we never want to forget all the first responders who sacrificed their lives. And it was just such a tragic day. It, it, is, it is weird though, that kids just kind of have no idea. It's just like something that 
they just hear about it's like history that happened this got too serious i was gonna say that the jets probably lost so but you know it got too i i, I took it too serious i should have said the jets were gonna lose first but yeah it is september 11th as we're recording and you know we do want to remember um, just how tragic that day was for our country yeah i gotta see the packers win and that was great they had a great game Shout out to Canadian public television because they carry the NFL games on there. So it was on the regular TV up there. Got to watch it in the hotel room. As for 9-11, I think it's really interesting for people of our age because we were just becoming adults when this happened. And it is you know insane to have that one of those pivotal moments in history be so long ago that you have a vivid memory, but there's a whole generation that doesn't. My son was a baby. I remember that. And it was a very profound impact. And I'll never forget that day, that morning as everything unfolded and you know, obviously the impacts in the years following. And it's definitely something to be remembered and remember all the victims and all the people who, you know, bravely went into the wreckage and tried to save people who lost their lives eventually because of all that. So it's it's definitely a day to remember and, you know. Yeah, and as a travel podcast, like it did substantially change the way, you know, travel is these days. Before then, I remember when I was a kid growing up, like, my dad would go to the airport to like pick up his ticket and then we would just go to a gate. You know, there was no security like that or they would let you in. You know, you still went through security, but you didn't have to have a ticket for that day. And we would just like watch planes. And that's just something that, you know, you can't really do anymore unless you are. I'm not going to talk about the people who get uh, past security for flights that they're not going to fly, not for nefarious reasons, but mostly for lounge reasons. But yeah, so. I think everything really changed then. And yeah, it is, it's funny, like just when it happens to you, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, like it does change. I mean, that that's our generation, Sean. So you, you nailed it right there. Yeah, it's a good point. All of our adult lives, we've had to deal with the TSA scenario to kind of change it real quick. Canada, their security is perhaps the strictest I've seen anywhere recently i've been traveling all through europe and asia this year so i've been to a lot of different airports a lot of different rules because every country has something different but i've never seen security so thorough and kind of slow but very thorough so i'm not going to criticize them for it but uh, if you're going to canada you know be prepared for that and the cool thing about canada the last thing to say is when you fly out of any major airport in canada you clear u.s customs in the border in canada which is so nice because then you arrive back in the u.s at a domestic gate so it's all good with that. And I love doing that. And your global entry works, although technically you're supposed to have your global entry card. And that's just a sort of a quirk of it. They sometimes won't let you go through the global entry line if you don't show a card at the front. But I had TSA pre-check on my boarding pass and I couldn't find my card before I went and it worked out okay. So, you know, just something to keep in mind when you're going to Canada. I love those US pre-clearance things. Priority pass lounge in there as well in that area. So good place to hang out and all of that one last thing on canada did you i'm assuming you don't have to do arrive can anymore with the app or do you still have to do that because that was such a pain that one time i went to vancouver that you know you didn't remember but you know so actually i'm glad you brought that up because i don't i believe i've told this story on here before but about 10 years ago so son and i were on a month and a half road trip around the u.s and we were going to vancouver and we were going to Toronto and driving in and they asked at the border, do you have any weapons? And I said, no. And they said, that includes pepper spray. And I had pepper spray because we were camping a lot and I don't carry a gun or anything. So that was our sort of protection. 
And of course I said yes, and I gave them the pepper spray, but they didn't believe I gave them everything. So they pulled me over and for an hour and a half, two hours, they stripped my car, looked through everything. And, you know, eventually we went on our way. Every time I've crossed into Canada since then, I've been grilled and questioned and it's been an uncomfortable experience to the point where I haven't really gone back to Canada in a while because I didn't love it. And this time you can use Arrive Can if you want, but there's really no need to because they have these new kiosks and think of the global entry kiosks. They work very similar or the mobile passport control. I guess it's similar to that, but you just go, you scan your passport. It asks you a few questions. And then the officer basically waves you through. They could ask you something, but no questions. It was like 30 seconds to get through the border going in. Best experience I've ever had going into Canada. Really much improved and no reason to use ArriveCan anymore. That's good to know. That app was a bit of a pain. I mean, it was fine, but it, it just it was just clunky. And, you know, I had to use apps to do the e-visas in New Zealand and Australia. And I think, I guess... I guess overall, I prefer doing stuff on the app beforehand if you need a visa because you don't have to worry about it when you get there. So it was a pain when I did it, but I did it two weeks before we flew over there when I was less stressed, whereas you land after a 14-hour flight. Obviously, going to Canada is not a 14-hour flight, but you know what I'm saying. You land and then it's crazy. It is a bit disappointing for you. I feel bad for you that you are flagged in Canada. Hopefully your son is in flag too, because you know, that's just something that you kind of got to deal with like for the rest of your life. I'm guessing I'm not flagged anymore. And I don't know that I ever was officially flagged, but I mean, I can't It felt that, that way though. It felt that well, way. Well, it did. And it, I'm, we're talking about five or six different visits to Canada since then. And every single time it was pretty rough to get in, but this was the most simple thing. Like I said, you scan the passport, answer a couple questions, work similar to mobile passport control or global entry. And these kiosks are getting better and better. Obviously, they're tracking us more and more. So some people might not like that, but they're getting better and better. And getting in and out of countries is getting simpler, especially like the U.S., the, global, the new global entry kiosk. I just saw the, like the third version. They're working so good. Like the facial recognition is like two seconds and it has you. So it's all much better than it was. The original ones, if people don't know, it would take a picture and it would sort of indicate that it was trying to match that to the thing, but it had no connection to a database or anything. It really, the picture was for the officer to sort of match everything up. And this one is obviously facial recognition. You don't have to do anything, your passport, anything. It just boom. And they just say, you know, Sean, what are you doing here? And you know, that was all good. So good stuff there. Did you see that Hyatt and Chase are sending out this survey to people for a premium Hyatt credit card? And there's people have written about it, but I somebody actually following the Vegas case posted screenshots of the survey uh, on Twitter. And I'll put a link in the description because there's many, many different options on this. But it's a premium Hyatt credit card. The annual fee from the screenshots I saw was $350. And then they're sort of just doing all kinds of different combinations of what you could get with that. And they're trying to figure out what would be the best offering for people. And there's some interesting stuff within that. Obviously, different earn rates at Hyatt Hotels, accelerated earn rates like 3x on your top two spend categories. Remember, Hyatt points are worth quite a bit. I value them at about one and a half cents each. But being able to earn 3x at your top categories, I'm sure it would probably have a limit. We don't really know, but that's a really interesting one. Different sort of credits like at resorts or food and beverage. So they're playing around with that. We've seen that as an offer on Marriott cards, on Hilton cards. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, buy one, get one free nights. 
So like book four consecutive nights and receive the fourth night free. That's also something that their competitors tend to do. Different status options. But then there is also something with the free nights that's very interesting, depending on which version of the card that you see. And one of them, it says, would come with a category one through five free night. And if you know how high it works, currently they have two types of certs, a category one through four, and then a category one through seven. And so this would actually extend it to five, which is like 20,000 on a standard award, which is interesting. And then they also have the ability to upgrade category one through four certs on some of these card versions. And the way it works with some of them is you have a category one through four cert. If you wanted to go category five, you could add 5,000 points. Category six, you could add 10,000 points. Category seven, 15. Category eight, 20,000 points on top of the cert. This makes those certs a lot more valuable. And potentially you could combine a category one through four with 20K and get into one of those category eight properties. So that's very interesting as well. Anything stand out to you from some of this survey stuff? What you're talking about right there at the end is what my eyes were drawn to immediately. There's also one of the, I mean, I guess it's like ABC testing or whatever. One of the options was combine two category one to four certs into a one to eight cert. It's relevant because Hyatt has this ridiculous policy where, not ridiculous, but not the best policy where these certs need to be redeemed in six months. In fact, I am currently in the process of being burned by that because I can't remember, Sean, but it felt like two years ago when you hit Globalist, when you hit that 60th night, there was a second option to choose besides it was like either choose the one to seven free night or something else, or maybe it was only at the lower levels. But what you wanted to do was not choose the free night cert until you were ready because it expires six months after and i hit 60 nights on hyatt by mistake too early with you know first world problems obviously but i hit it and then so this one to seven cert hit my inbox and now it's gonna expire in march you know and i'm i'm not ready to use it yet like and so with the timing and stuff like that it is tough and so marriott just did this where you can pay more points up to a certain like I think I think it's limited to a certain point but I I just feel like that makes the certs so much more valuable I mean I have a cert expiring in two months that I'm gonna have to figure out how to use or guest of honor uh, a friend for that and then I have another one expiring in January and then I have this one that I just said that's one to seven which I would like to use I used to use that at the Park Hyatt New York every year for my birthday but obviously can't do that anymore but if I could pay an extra even if I could pay an extra ten thousand points, which is overpriced, but you know, I would love to do that just to continue the tradition of staying at that park Hyatt for my birthday. So over the holidays. So I think it would be great if they did that. It also feels like they've probably mostly saturated the market with their entry level world of Hyatt cards. And so this is why we're looking at them looking to doing a premium on. And uh, yeah, I'd be all for it. I would too. Obviously we don't know what we would get in the end. And there's so many different options here. As you point out, Marriott allows you, I believe, to do 15K on top of a cert. So you can do that. And Hyatt, to your point in that one option where you could combine two one through four certificates, it says into a category one through eight. So in this sort of survey, we're seeing new certificates, a category one through five, possibly a category one through eight. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring new certificates uh, to the market with this. 
And as you point out, so that six-month thing is a little crazy. I believe it was always when you hit 60, you got the free night issued that day. So you wanted to be you wanted to be strategic about it. I think, as you said, like on the lower numbers where you get like points or a gift card, you could choose that and you could put that yeah, out. I think yeah. that was it, yeah. But last year, I hit 60 way early in the year and I just didn't plan well and I ended up, you know, the cert expiring. The good thing is that Hyatt is still... For those category one through seven that you earn as a globalist on 60 nights, they're still giving you 20K points if you expire it. So it still has value even if you don't use it. And last year I had to do that. I do miss, you know, the, the places I use those category one through sevens are all category eights now, like you park high at New York, for example. I would love an ability to even upgrade the category one through seven for their best customers, the globalists, the people who are staying in your hotels. Give us the ability to put a few points on the board to get to category eight if you're gonna do all of this. I hope that they listen to that. But there is a lot of interesting stuff. So I'll put the link in the description to some of these spots and we'll have a write-up on the site as well that we're working on. And obviously this will also come with like an anniversary free night, depending, you'll have spend thresholds to earn qualifying nights, just like with the lower tier cards. There's a lot to this. And I think for $350, they're coming in at a lower annual fee than some of their competitors on the premium cards. And I think for a lot of people, it'll probably be worth it. So we'll keep an eye out. The fact that they have so many options, I think this is probably imminent. There's been rumors of Hyatt working on a premium card for a while. And I think that this shows that they're pretty serious about it. Yeah, love it. Always down to get a new card. And I think I'm below 524. So I'm assuming that it's going to be with Chase again, unless they do some weird Marriott shenanigans where they're with two banks. So, you know, this should be good. Let's talk about Marriott really quick. Marriott has confirmed they're doing their soft landing again next year. And I saw this on Frequent Milers, so credit to them. We'll also have a write-up on the site, but I did see it with them first. But just like in past years, they've done this for a long time. If you earn, let's say, titanium status and then you don't re-up for it, they will only downgrade you one level. So they would downgrade you to platinum. If you were platinum, they downgrade you to gold. Now, gold really isn't give you anything and you can get it very easily with credit cards. So I don't see gold as really... Uh, anything special, but if you're titanium and not requalifying, this is good. You would go down to platinum, which still gives you breakfast, lounge access, stuff like that. Just keep in mind, you wouldn't get some of the perks that you would need for nights earned, like the Sweet Night Awards and stuff, unless you earned the platinum status. You would just get the on-property perks like the, the lounge access. But good to see Marriott doing that. And as you pointed out with them adding the ability to add points and as much as we've seen a lot of devaluations over the years in these programs, their points aren't worth as much, it does feel like it's getting easier to redeem some of these things. And especially certificates seem to be getting better and better, whereas they were heavily restricted before. Marriott has always been good with this, though, with the status. I don't think any other program has done that. Hilton famously, like with COVID and matches over the years, many people had four years of diamond status with Hilton off one credit card sign up or They've had that, but Marriott has officially done this every year, and I think they deserve credit for that. Hyatt should do it, but I can't give up my globalist anyway. So if I got dis if I got downgraded to what is the next one? Discoverist is the next one below that, I think. No, that's the lowest. Explorist. Okay, Explorist. Okay, See, been, I don't even pay attention you've, you've, to the other tiers. Your head has been in the clouds for too long. Obviously, yeah, yes. exactly, exactly. What what is that's uh, a joke below that, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, that's a joke, but yes, yeah. So it's a. Uh, Globalist, Explorist, Discoverist. And I should say that when they originally came up with those names, we said how they were dumb and no one would ever remember them. And we have just proven that point right now. And I still hating, hate saying I'm a globalist, but I feel like we're desensitized to it now. It doesn't sound as douchey as it did when the names officially came yeah, like out. Yeah, 
Well, my speaking of names that sound dumb, my kids still think Bonvoy is pretty dumb. But, you know, people have gotten used to that brand as well. So maybe the branding people, I don't know, maybe they get us to talk about it so that we'll never forget what it's called. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, really it. And, you know, to be honest, the old program was Gold Passport and the old status was Diamond. And Global is probably a little bit more interesting and less generic because all the programs use those like Gold, Platinum, Diamond. And obviously Marriott still uses those levels. But I think Hyatt in making their names distinct probably did a, a good move. And everybody loved Hyatt, right? It's crazy to go to these meetups to talk and people have a deep love for the brand. I've been a top tier for nine years. I like them a lot, but there's it's other brands. You know, I think sometimes in the miles and point space, we get a little bit too kind of caught up in that. And talking to people this weekend, this wasn't our agenda, but I need to keep remembering to search Vacasa because I just, when I'm going through my like hotels and searching for stuff, I always forget, you know, Vacasa with Wyndham and that needs to be added to my list because I'll do Hyatt is usually my first choice. Marriott Hilton, depending on the market. The next I have IHG points. If I need usually like a lower end stay on a road trip or, you know, that's usually what I use my IHG points for. But Vacasa, more and more people are using it and liking it. And I need to like add that to my repertoire of searching. And, you know, sometimes we do this for so long that we get like old and set in our ways, but need to remember that there's a lot of opportunity out there. And it was fun talking to people about their Vacasa stays and how much they're enjoying that. Is there a miles in points play or is it just you can get more space and a more house-like uh, place with, you know, cash, but, you know, feel better value overall? Because obviously, you know, I have a big family, so, I mean, that can be beneficial at times. Yeah, I think it's just getting the properties and having more options. And then places like Hawaii, I was talking to, to somebody in our group who was in Maui when the fire happened and, but he was talking about Vacasa there and how it's, you know, very good for that. And there's a lot of vacation ownership rentals there in Maui. Vacasa, something I haven't done a ton of search, so I'll, maybe I'll talk about it in a future show. I'll dive more into it and kind of incorporate it in my thing. And then we can talk more about maybe some of the opportunities I've seen and I'll get to work on that and report back to everybody. So let's talk credit cards for a second. Chase Inc, Cash and Unlimited, there are still links around if you're looking for that $900 bonus on those. There's links that will have a article on the website. They're just direct links. We don't know how long they'll last. I think this originally came from Doctor of Credit, but you can get, you know, 90,000 ultimate rewards. That's great. We've seen a little bit better in the past, but it's down to 75k for the public bonus. But keep in mind if you're going to do that and you want to grab the 90k if you have the ability to like refer, you know, a player to or use a referral, the referral is 40,000 points and then the public sign up is 75,000. So you would actually get more by doing a referral and a public sign up than the 90K. But if you were in the market for that, it's cool that those links have resurfaced and we don't know how long they will last. But, you know, for people who want those inks, man, those ultimate rewards, so good. Yeah, I, I feel like inks are cards that I've never regretted getting and still have a few. I, the office spend is still good. And yeah, I think the trickiest thing with inks is like you said, it's hard to find the offer. So when you can find them, definitely jump on them uh, if you're eligible. So we have an update on the JetBlue Spirit merger. And this is a crazy deal because these airlines couldn't be more different. Spirit being ultra low cost carrier, JetBlue trying to be a premium carrier to some extent, 
We know they have better legroom, you know, better planes, free Wi-Fi, stuff like that. But JetBlue is determined to buy Spirit. And there's a lot of things in their way because anti-competition. And we know that anytime airlines merge, it's generally led to higher prices. One of the things that's helped JetBlue, I think, is that their American partnership got sort of killed by the courts. So that's one sort of barrier that was going to stop this. And the other thing is they have a lot of slots in airports like, I think, LaGuardia and Newark and and others. I think even Boston is one where they have to get rid of slots and they would have too much. And what they're doing is basically divesting their slots to Frontier and to Allegiant, depending on the airport and the route. I guess their whole goal of this is to be, we're going to give these slots to low-cost carriers to try to keep the fares down and instead of you know giving them to somebody else or keeping them themselves. So they are giving up a lot here. It'll be interesting to see if they still get this through. I think there's still some headwinds for them, but we should see Frontier and uh, Allegiant expanding even more. So if you love those airlines, get ready because uh, they're going to be heavier on the East Coast, it looks like. Yeah, I'm just glad this means that I probably won't, if this merger goes through, won't have to fly any old refitted Spirit planes. JetBlue's going to keep, I mean, JetBlue has a ton. And Boston is essentially a hub for JetBlue, so I totally understand why they would have to get rid of some slots. Otherwise, you know, they're going to control like one and a half terminals with Spirit or whatever. So I'm not that many, but, you know, they basically have almost the large majority of Terminal C is for JetBlue. So makes a lot of sense. I still am not totally sure, like all the business aspects behind this merger, but JetBlue seems pretty hell bent on getting this done. And I think that just because the AA thing fell through, it feels like this just makes it feel more likely that'll happen. So we'll see how that goes. You know, I don't pay too much mind about that stuff until it affects my family, which is like most normal people actually. Well, I feel like with these airports, LaGuardia, Newark, Boston, that will affect you. Fort Lauderdale also is affected with, I believe, Allegiant taking over slots there and taking off and landings. And so they are clearly JetBlue wants this to happen. And I think in the end, it's going to affect fares. Even if they give up these gates to low cost carriers, you're going to have another carrier gone and one that drove prices down and drove competition. Uh, we saw just a few years ago, right? None of the major carriers like Delta, United, American, they didn't have basic economy fares. They didn't have any of this stuff. Spirit really drove that. I mean, Frontier, sure, Allegiant, sure. But they were, Spirit was the ones out in front driving down fares and forcing the other airlines to kind of compete. And I'm not against this. I think JetBlue probably will have to give up more, but it's clear that they're willing to do that to get this done. One other thing, Joe, I just remembered about Air Canada so in the safety thing, the plane I flew there and back was a 737 MAX 8. So it's a new MAX plane, right? But on all the safety stuff, it just calls it a 737-8, which I believe they're trying to do to confuse people into thinking it's a 737-800, the old 737. But nowhere does it say MAX on anything on the plane. The only way you would know is if you looked up like the tail number or, you know, use FlightAware or something like that. And I wondered if they did that on purpose just to, so people wouldn't see Max and get afraid. But, you know, it was a Max 8. So crazy stuff. Bringing up Steve Creasy from the DCL podcast, who I name checked last week, I spoke to him about the 737 Max because I finally flew one and it was Air Canada, actually. I, I feel like when I bought the flight, it still said Max on it. And I know that the 737 Max has a lot of 
baggage with it, and rightfully so because it had all those issues and multiple crashes. However, I was talking. To, I think I I think I messaged Steve about it before I booked the flight, and he said that what has happened is, of course, Boeing has completely like overcorrected. So not only they've fixed the systems, but they've also you know updated the training, and it is they like they've made it so like if you just think about it from logical standpoint, Boeing cannot whether you know another 737 max 8 max or whatever the terminology is in help us out they can't just what they can't weather something going wrong with that again so they it's actually one of the safer planes i mean all all planes are very safe to fly but you know there are, there aren't issues there anymore but of course like we said with branding it takes a while to forget these things so that's probably why they're pulling those shenanigans and if it's safe then you know, maybe you don't want to give people the extra stress of worrying about what plane they're on. I'm sure it probably did say Max on their website. I'm just talking about like the safety materials on the plane. I've flown a ton of Max planes lately. I don't have an issue flying them. Usually the cabins are pretty nice with the new lighting and, and that. And the Air Canada the, uh, has a, a great product the, on it the, too. The overhead bins. I great. was very impressed by the overhead bins there. If you haven't been on a 737 Max, like they are huge right like you you could you could increase the size of carry on luggage if all planes were like that and so that was pretty great and yeah it's funny we talked about fear of flying last week and i i was genuinely a little worried to fly until i talked to steve who really put put my mind at ease and now i'm like wow i i love the the overhead bins are so great you can turn your suitcase sideways it it just you're never like i don't think you're ever going to have to check your bag at the gate no matter how many people are trying to bring a carry-on luggage with those planes. It's funny because yesterday on the flight, they were announcing that the flight was pretty full. I think there were six empty seats on the plane and that people might have to gate check. And it got down to the last person and they couldn't find space. And they said he had a gate check. And then one of the flight attendants came in and rearranged something. And so they got everybody. So with only six empty seats, everybody got their bag on. Because as you point out, you can turn the bag the tall way because of the way the bins are. And so that allows you to put a lot more bags in each bin. Great you know, evolution of that process. And as you said, Boeing can't really afford to have any issues. Their 777X is now delayed until 2025. Tons of issues have come up with that. And I think it's because there's so much more scrutiny now on the process, because as we learned, you know, I'm not gonna accuse them of shady stuff, but there was definitely some stuff that wasn't kosher with all of that, that caused those crashes. and you know, they're, they're course correcting for that, which is good. And yeah, I'm definitely not afraid to fly on the max planes. The seats are, you know, slim line, but depending on the airline, you could have a good product. Some of the US based airlines have really, really uncomfortable seats. Air Canada's I found to be pretty good. They have screens in all the seats, really nice screens, although no Bluetooth audio, but you can't get everything that you want. So let's close with another aviation thing. And this is United's new narrow body lie flat business class seats. These are coming to the A321, the A321 XLR, and I think some of the 73710s, which will be Max planes as well, I believe, with United. And it's a herringbone style, so it's the ones that angle away from the window. I think they're putting in what 14 rows of seats in the front of the plane, a single aisle, one on each side. Very dense configuration, but They've done some things like in this patent that Pax.Arrow has and that are really interesting. Like they talk about how one customer's shoulder space will be the other customer's 
you know, like waste space in the next seat. So they're really kind of putting customers on top of each other. But this is better. I mean, if they're going to put these on some routes to Europe, most likely uh, for lower times. And we know Americans doing similar with their narrow body business class, you know, competing with JetBlue, who's already doing that. And we should see these on more domestic routes as well on the premium side. And hopefully you get free upgrades if you have a status with them. But it's interesting to see all these new designs. Like I said, American has a new design for their business class, which looks to me a, a lot like JetBlue's for their narrow bodies. But it's a, a new era, I think, for narrow body design. And we're going to see more and more of these planes, especially the 321 XLR, because that can fly from the East Coast to Europe. It can even fly, I think, from Miami to Europe. And I know Americans rolling out a lot of these to like Charlotte and, you know, Boston and New York. And you're going to see a, a lot of that stuff, especially in the lower demand times where they don't need the wide bodies. So a lot of that's about to change. Yeah, it's funny. If you check out the Pax.Aero breakdown of it, they have like, well, the patent picture or whatever has all the angles, but they're really jamming as many seats as they can into as little space as possible. And so with all these seats being diagonal, you know, it does feel like, and I mean, the demand is going to be there for it, right? To take the business class flights for business people over to Europe or whatever. The thing that I can't shake thinking when I'm looking at this floor plan or a diagram or whatever is, you know how like when you are renovating your bathroom or whatever, they say, make your tile diagonal to make everything look bigger. Like, I feel like that's what they're trying to do here. You know, they sh they're shoving in 14 rows of seats into probably not that large of a cabin, but it just feels like it feels like in some ways that there's a lot more space than there actually is. At the same time, it feels very cramped because there's so many seats, but you know, that it, it looks like bathroom tile to me. So I'm, co I'm coining it here right now. This is my patent United. It's the bathroom tile, narrow body business class. I definitely think the American and JetBlue designs are better uh, on their narrow body based on what we've seen. We only have the patent application, so we don't have pictures of what the actual seats look like. It reminds me, and this is a very obscure Cathay Pacific reference, but Cathay Pacific on their A340s, which I don't even think they have any left that they're still flying, but they had a very narrow herringbone seat. And this was before they rolled out on their 777s, that reverse herringbone. And that's the one they still use and American uses it, a ton of airlines use it. And those are more spacious, wider, they're more comfortable. But their original narrow herringbone seat looks a lot like this, same exact way it angles away from the window. And I flew that once regionally within Asia. I wouldn't have loved to fly it for like 14 hours to Hong Kong or anything, but on a few hour flight, it was fine. It was just very narrow. So when you're in that seat, you're not, there's no big elbow room, which to the point is why they said they're designing that wall so that part of the space will be in one seat and part of the space in the other seat. I feel like somebody with like wide shoulders like me, probably, you know, it'll be comfortable, but it's not going to be as good as some of the other seats. So. Yeah, but like I said, it's exciting that we're getting these planes. Some people are, they don't like it. They don't want to fly narrow body on a flight to Europe or, or something like that. But the range on these planes is pretty incredible. And uh, just a few years ago, we would have never seen anything like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, JetBlue has already been flying narrow, but I mean, multiple airlines are already flying narrow body over there. So I think we're just going to see this trend continue. It's less fuel, more efficient. This is the way, this is the way things go. Yeah, it's the complete opposite of what we thought maybe 10 or 15 years ago when the A380 started, you know, going, they were saying, oh, we need to have planes that have whole five or 600 people so that we can be more efficient. And obviously that turned out to be terrible. 
and the A380s are going away pretty much across the board. And now we're going to smaller, more efficient aircrafts. And then you also have the, you know, the A350s and, and those in the Dreamliners and those to carry more people. So yeah, definitely an evolution. And it'll be interesting to see when Boeing gets the 777X, the next version of their 777, their big wide body, if they can ever get it to market, because they just seem to have problem after problem. But it's, you know, you do this long enough to your point, bringing it back to talking about 9-11 and just how much things have changed in the last 20 years. You do this line of we're getting an entire new generation of aircraft, feeling a little bit in some ways better, in some ways worse. But for people like us who like premium cabins, who can redeem miles, I feel like this is still better than like, a you know, the old domestic first class seat. And if you can get some more and more routes domestically, you know, Boston to L.A., Vegas to New York, Vegas to Florida, San Francisco to the East Coast, all that sort of stuff. I think it's good. So I'm happy to to see it. Bring back the Concorde, you cowards. <laughs> I would love to fly one of those at some point in my life. I mean, I know that's never coming back, but my dad flew a few of those back in the day, and I, I'm jealous, but it's fun talking to him about those stories. It's funny because they'll say the Concorde was all business class, but if you look at the seats on the Concorde, they were not anything comparable to today's business class that you would know. They were very sort of tight, but they are, do have the supersonic jets supposedly coming by the end of this decade, so we'll see if... I think, what, didn't United order a ton of them? And I, I uh, saw something about that, yeah. That, that's why the Concord has been conquered, has been in my mind recently. So, yeah, that'll be cool to see. For sure. Well, we talked about a lot today, Joe, so I hope people enjoyed that. And, you know, hit us up on social media to discuss any of the stuff that we did. We'll put links to all the stuff we talked about and the sources down in the description. And where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me at As Joe Flies all over social media. If you're looking to plan a trip for 2024, Joseph Chung at travelmation.net. A lot of people are planning their trips for next summer, including myself. So I would love to help you out. What about you, Sean? You can find me all over social media at Miles to Memories. If you do like this show, if you listen to this show regularly and you really want to help us out, Going to Apple Podcasts, leaving us a five-star review, sharing with people that you enjoy the show, that really does help us out. Consider doing that. I know people listen to the show, they don't think to do that, or they don't think that it helps us, but it helps us with the algorithm, and it helps us make, it helps us feel good, it helps us know that there's people that enjoy the show, and it's always great to hear from you. So if you do listen to Apple, you know, taking a second to hit that five stars, and then if you want, write a review, that's all really great stuff, and we really appreciate it. Everything we do, milestomemories.com, post podcast videos, talked about the Vegas stuff. Yeah, you, know, you can find us everywhere. So thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya. See ya.